Coffee, Cows, and Crops is produced by the Peace Country Beef and Forage Association and hosted by Extension Coordinator Johanna Murray. On this podcast, we discuss management practices and research results with scientists, ranchers, researchers, and farmers. We strive to share innovative information and farming practices supported by sound science and practical wisdom. So grab a cup of coffee and let's get learning. Coffee, Cows, and Crops. Today I'm chatting with Dallas Mount from the Ranching Management Consultants in Wyoming. Uh, But before we get into all that good stuff, Dallas, would you mind introducing yourself and maybe give us a bit of your background? Sure. Uh, Yeah, so I'm uh, the third owner of the uh, company. Our company is called RMC, Ranch Management Consultants. Uh, We're best known for teaching the Ranching for Profit School. And so that's been going about since the late 80s. And uh, as I said, I'm the third owner of the company, so I'm following some pretty awesome giants in the field. Uh, Stan Parsons started our company. He and Alan Savory were originally partners when they came over from Zimbabwe to start working in North America. And um, when he and Savory went separate ways, uh, Stan started uh, RMC Ranch Management Consultants, our company. And uh, and then for uh, he ran it for about 20 years, and then Dave Pratt. Uh, bought the company from Stan and Dave ran it for about 20 years. And I had the great fortune of working with Dave and under Dave teaching schools for him. Uh, and then uh, he offered me the opportunity to buy the company. And, and here we are. So uh, we're embarking on our third year of running RMC. I moved the company here to Wyoming, uh, where I've lived for about uh, going on 20 years now with my family. And um, so before I, I've taken the reins here at RMC, I worked for about uh, 18 years at, with the University of Wyoming as a livestock extension specialist uh, in the in the state, doing um, a lot of economics and financial consulting with farms and ranches around different management issues. So um, was uh, was blessed to be able to go to the Ranching for Profit School, where I felt like they did a better job than anybody else of tying it all together, from you know economics and finance to the family part of the business to looking at the production side. So I got real excited when I when I got to be a part that and and then uh, had the joy of teaching the school for several years and still get to do that now and then but uh, spend a lot of my time uh, doing things like this and and uh, doing workshops and, and helping organize the company so it's a lot of fun right on so we'll maybe start small um, since we're talking about decision making and there's uh, lots of people maybe facing some tough decisions this year with with the drought being so widespread and, and shortages of feed and that sort of stuff. Um, are there steps to making tough decisions or that you think about when you're when you're starting to make tough decisions? Yeah, so boy, t- uh, tough decisions. So I, I guess it sure would be nice to have some uh, decision-making processes that we were comfortable with and, and a part of the, our business and part of our culture um, that we're leading up to the tough ones, right? And sometimes uh, mm-hmm. it seems like we just start on the tough ones. That's what pushes us into that. Um, you know, we, we work with a lot of uh, ranch families all over the world, and, and especially in North America, that are that are going through crises and challenges. And and we've got several different processes that we that we teach them and that we work through with them. And and one of those is is a tool that we call the six thinking hats. And, and we borrowed that from a guy named Edward de Bono, and he, he wrote this book called The Six Thinking Hats, but, but we've taken his concept and we put them in a, in a special order. And, and I'd suggest that this process might be a really good tool for people that are, are 
preparing to make some decisions in a period of crisis or, you know, a, a high stress decisions uh, to use this. And so the, the way we teach the six thinking hats is, uh, well, you know, you know, you've probably heard somebody say, put on your thinking hat, right? Okay. Well, well, Edward de Bono said, we actually all have different thinking hats that we wear, right? You can, you can think about things from this perspective or think about them from that perspective. And, and he give those colors to help us remember them. Uh, so, so the first hat that we suggest you wear is the white hat. Okay. And, and the white hat is, um, it's just the facts, right? You can think of hearing something in black and white. Okay. I, I want just the facts. Okay, so when we put on the white hat, and, and so what we'd suggest you do to, to think about your situation and, and through this would be to get some kind of a visual, uh, maybe that's a flip chart, maybe that's a whiteboard, um, you know, if you're doing this, hopefully you're not doing this remotely with people, but if you have to, it could be a, a whiteboard on a Zoom screen, right? And so at the top of this, you write out, you know, you draw the white hat, or you write out the word, what are the facts, right? What do we know? Okay, and so in a, in a cow-calf business, the facts might be, uh, we have enough grazing feed to get us till the first of November. Okay. There's, and, and then you can say to the people, do you guys agree? That's a fact. Yeah. Yeah. We agree. Okay. So then that's an important thing as you're doing is just to get agreement on the facts, right? If, if you say something and there's disagreement in the team, then maybe what the fact might be is we're not sure, right? We don't know. Okay. So you want to be real careful on, on the facts that, that everybody agrees. These are the facts. So, so once I could see around drought management, okay, we have, uh, we have grazing feed to last us till the first of November. We have 300 cows on hand. Cow market is currently $1,200 a cow. Okay. Every number I'm going to use is going to be wrong, but the, the point is not what the numbers are. It's the, what, you know, the process. Okay. Um, hay market is $250 a ton. Okay. Uh, feed cost to get a cow from the 1st of November until grazing season starts the middle of May is $600, right? What, whatever the numbers are, right? Just So just start working through those facts. Okay. What, what do we know? Okay. Uh, another fact might be we don't know what next year brings, right? We don't know if it's going to rain. Okay. Um, we don't know if we're gonna have a good year or a bad year. Um, we don't know what calves are gonna be worth, what cows are gonna be worth or calves in 2023, right? We don't, right? But but a fact might be, well, we could currently price protect those calves at this at this rate, right? Maybe so if somebody's using forward markets or things like that, right? So so you could start getting all these all these facts out and, and you want to work that list as deep as you can go. Okay. So so work it with the folks that are part of it. And then, then once you finish the white hat, okay, so that's just the facts, then what we want you to do is, is to pull out the green hat, okay? So the green hat is, think green, the color of growth, the color of ideas, okay? So put the green hat on and say, well, what, what ideas do people have? What kind of things could we do? What are, what are our options, right? And, and this is really tempting, uh, especially with a family, because everybody's comfortable with each other in a family, right? Uh, but you don't want to start vetting ideas or judging ideas. You don't want to say that's good, that's bad. You just want to get the ideas out. Okay. So if you're using flip charts, flip to a new flip chart, draw the green hat on there and then say, let's get all the ideas we can on the wall. Okay. So somebody's going to say, well, we could buy hay to feed the cows. Somebody's going to say, we could send the cows to wherever the heck, you know, right. Send them off to camp somewhere. Um, somebody's going to say, well, we could sell the cows. Okay. Uh, we could put the cows in the feedlot, right? So, so just start making all these ideas and, and run them as, as far as you can. Okay. We could, 
uh, sell the old ones, keep the young ones. We could cull 50%, keep the rest, graze them longer. Uh, you know, what, whatever those ideas are. So we get the green hat and we, and we get them all on there. We've got a facilitator that works with our executive link group. And, and he says, when you put the green hat on, if somebody hasn't suggested aliens, we haven't worn it long enough. Okay. <laughs> so, so what he's saying there is we need a lot of ideas, right? It's, it's great to have, uh, you know, 20 ideas that are completely ridiculous. Okay. Cause, cause then, you know, you're, you're vetting them deeper. What, what I've noticed is when we do this, the best ideas generally come out towards the end. Okay. When people are starting to get in the flow, right. And, mm -hmm. and think very creatively. So that if you're facilitating this, just say, what else, what else, what else could we do? You know, think, think off the wall, what else could we do and get, and really get people thinking deeply about it. Okay. So the, the green hat goes on now, then what we're going to do is we're going to select so let's say we've got 30 ideas on the board, okay? Uh, take, take a marker, hand everybody a marker and say, okay, go put three stars on this board or go put five stars on the board, whatever you might wanna do. And, and let everybody go up there and, and you know, indicate those ideas they think have the most merit. And so as a team, what you're gonna have then is, is a few ideas probably that really rise to the top, okay? So, so let's say you've got three ideas that you think need to, to be vetted more thoroughly. Okay, so now we're ready to move on to the next hat. And the next hat is the yellow hat. Okay, if some of you guys might have read Curious George when you were a kid, and the, the man with the yellow hat was Curious George's friend. So you can, you can think of that. So, um, so the man with the yellow hat always looks at the upside. Okay, when you wear the yellow hat, you ask the question, if this worked well, what might happen? Okay. And so then you start coming out with all the good things that might result from this strategy. Okay. So if somebody said, um, let's say a suggestion was sell the cows. Okay. So we might think of good things that would come out. Okay. Well, we might sell the cows for a good price. Um, you know, maybe we think bread cows are currently $1,200. Maybe ours are going to sell for $1,800. Okay. All right. Well, what else might happen? Well, we'll have cash. Okay. And we can just sit on that cash this year. Okay, so all of our cash flow problems will be solved, right? Whatever, whatever that might be for, for your operation. Um, and, and so you go on and you just keep thinking through, if this idea worked well, what might happen? Now, a challenge is if your family is like every other family, somebody is going to jump to, yeah, but, right? Okay, you know, so you're thinking about this and somebody stands up and goes, yeah, but, uh, you know, we can't get these genetics back, right? And they're going to start on the negative. How you respond to that is you say, oh, whoa, 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 hold on a second. We're getting to the negative next. Right now, we're trying to think of what might work well. Okay. So just hold that thought. We're going to go there next. Um, and so you want to get all those good ideas out. The reason we start with the yellow hat, start with the upside is, for one thing, if the upsides are not very good, if you have a hard time coming up with any meaningful upsides, well, you can stop right there. Right. Uh, another reason is, is once you start on the negative side, it's much harder to come back to the positives. Okay. So, um, so we move on to into the black hat. The black hat is the negative side and that's the easy hat to wear. If this didn't work, what could go wrong? Uh, once we've worn the black hat, then we put back on the green hat and we be creative. How do we maximize the positives, minimize the negatives? And then we put on the red hat and the red hat is how do we feel about this decision? Is it consistent with our values, with our with who we are as a business? 
uh, does this match our, our core beliefs? Um, and then the, the, the sixth hat that we haven't mentioned yet, that's the blue hat and the blue hat is the facilitator. So that's the person that's, that's running the, uh, running those asking the right questions. So I feel like I, I answered way too long on this one, but I, you know, I just wanted to go through that process of when you're making these decisions, these critical decisions as a business, you need to have process, right? You need to have that as part of your culture, part of who you are that, that, okay, hey, this is how we think through these things, right? We don't just, it's, you know, too often in these businesses, dad walks out of the house one morning with a decision made and everybody else better get on board, right? And, and that's not the way to build camaraderie in these businesses. You need, to, you need to think through these things and involve people. So I'm sorry I went too long on that, but that, that's, that's how I think when we think about dealing with these critical issues. No, I think that's that's good to know, and it's good to have a process there to think about at least. So, on that note, is is there a difference uh, between making decisions in natural disaster sort of situations? You know, if you've had a wildfire go through, or a drought, or a flood, or whatever, um, and making a decision in like a tough business or family situation where it's more of a should we change our management or should you know. So, so and so wants to get involved in the farm and how do we involve them and that sort of stuff. Is there a difference in process that you think about for those? You know, I, I guess you, you kind of asked two different questions there. Is, is there a difference in those decisions? And I think the, answer, the, the truthful answer is yes, right? When we're, when we're reeling from, a, from something, some kind of disaster, either a natural disaster or disaster in the family, Right, we're we're making those decisions. Sometimes we're forced into them, and and they seem to be things thrust upon us. Uh, but then you, you, as you come around, you said, "Is there a difference in the process?" And and I think the answer to that is no. Right, I I think when you're put in a difficult situation, it's even more important to follow the process because your your emotions are going to be a bit more raw. You know, the the severity of the situation feels like it, like it's really tense in there. Right. Uh, so I think it's even more important to rely on the process and, and to make yourself, OK, let's just slow down. Let's think about this. Right. Let's be analytical about it. Now, I'm not saying don't don't make the decisions in a timely manner. Right. I completely think you should. But but we also don't want to be flipping about that decision. Right. Um, so I think that the process that you use is even more critical uh, following those those kind of disasters that that, that where emotions are, are raw and things feel thrust upon you. Definitely. And when, when we are making these really big decisions where with lots of emotions and stuff involved, um, how do you prevent, I guess, buyer's remorse is kind of the best way to say it when you're making those decisions. It's a great question. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're not going to prevent it. Uh, get on with it. Uh, you can need somebody behind you to kick you in the butt. And, and you know, all, all we can do as humans is make a decision with the best information that we have now. And, and I think we have to recognize that, mm -hmm. right? Nobody knows what the markets are going to do next year. Nobody knows what the weather's going to do next year. You can listen to all the weathermen you want. You can listen to all the market experts you want. And 50% of them are going to be wrong. Okay. Everybody's just guessing. So, so all you can do is you can make the decision with the information that you have in front of you now. Okay? And, and, and then you don't, you don't 
you don't look back. You, I mean, you can always change your mind, right? But, but that's with new information, right? right? So uh, a, a good friend of mine, Wally Olson, is, uh, is a cattleman from Oklahoma who's kind of a self-started guy and put together an awesome business. And, and, and he talks about going broke a few times along the way and, and having some times when things were really tough. And, and uh, he was sitting in with a, a meeting with a young man who was going through that in his life, right? He'd gotten into some stalker cattle and the market had moved against him and he was way upside down on these. And, and he was feeling the weight of the debt. Uh, he was feeling the weight of the, you know, the, the family ranch legacy on, on his shoulders. And, and this young man was just really kind of in a, in a tough spot. And, and Wally looked at this young man and he said, you know what? The only thing that matters is what you do next. Okay? And I think that's important to remember it. No matter what situation we're in today, Right. We can we can sit and we can feel tough about that. Oh, gosh, we're so dry. And I should have sold these cows four months ago. Right. The only thing that matters is what you do next. Right? What, what you did yesterday doesn't matter anymore. Okay? So use the information that's in front of you. What, what are they worth today? What is your cost to carry? What do they get? What do we think they're going to be worth next year with the best information we have now? All right. What do we think our forge situation is going to be? We know what our feed cost is, right? That's that's information we can get our hands on. So so use that information to make the best decision, and then move on. And and you know it, it's a waste of time to sit there and stew mm -hmm. about well, like I should have and I could have. Who cares? Let's just move forward, right? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's good advice. All right. Um, and on that note of keeping or selling cows, are there specific things you mentioned? Uh, cost to carry uh, that you would think about when you're making that decision, whether to keep them or sell them? Yes, absolutely. I'm, I'm glad we're getting here. <laughs> um, yeah. So um, a, a few things, a few things to look at, you know, so we teach a, a principle based focus at the ranching for profit school. So, so there's a few principles uh, that, that we rely upon pretty heavy that we, that we said as, hey, these are our solid guideposts to run by. And, and when we teach the grazing principles, one of the grazing principles is match stocking rate and carrying capacity, okay? match supply and demand. It's really that simple. Mm -hmm. okay? So when, the, when you have a drought, obviously supply goes down. Okay? We're not going to grow as much forage. So if you're following the principle, then we have to bring demand down with that. Okay. It's just, it's part of the way the world works. Now you, you can violate that. And, and sometimes you can come out looking good if you get lucky, right. And if prices move in your favor, but if you, if you look at that historically, it'll bite you, right. When, when you start, when, when supply drops and you don't lessen demand, uh, you're going to pay for it somehow. Okay. And now what I often hear people say is, well, gosh, I, I got 25% or 30% of my normal precept normal forage growth okay so what'd you do well i sold some coal cows early well how much did that reduce your your stocking rate oh maybe 10 percent, right so i've got a 70 percent forage reduction and i decrease my stocking rate 10 percent. oh it it doesn't work like that right we we need to reduce them in in parallel right you know so if you're having a 50 percent forage reduction then we need to look for okay well how are we going to reduce the demand by 50 percent Okay. Now, if you're stocked really conservatively, you've got some room in there. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so now please don't hear, I'm not suggesting you stock conservatively. There's downsides on that as well. Okay. Um, so there's the first one, match uh, stocking rate and carrying capacity, match supply and demand. Now, now the second thing is to look at it economically. And, and we've talked about some of this, so I don't want to beat a dead horse, but, but the information that you're going to need is what are those animals worth today? Okay. So, so what I want you to do, and we've got a video on our, on our YouTube channel that walks through this pretty good. Um, it, it's uh, called sunk cost bias is what it is. Okay. So somebody could watch this and uh, make a list of all the inventory classes of animals that are on your place. Okay. So I, I want you to list off. So we could start with like middle-aged bred cows. Okay. Uh, maybe these are cows that are ages three to eight. Right. And then, and then put them on the board. Um, and then, you know, old cows, uh, bred heifers, um, weaned heifer calves, you know, first calf heifers, whatever, whatever those are, uh, bulls, um, you know, so make a list of how many are in each of those class. And you don't have to be exact, but just take your best guess. And then on the next column, I want you to write dollars per head. Okay. And, and think through each of these classes and say, if I sold them today, or, or whatever the next marketing opportunity is that makes sense. Maybe we're going to gather here in a month, right? We could sell them. If I sold them that day, what am I pretty sure they'd bring? Okay. And, and you can go to the market report and you can look and you know your cattle and you know where they're going to fall, but just take a guess. Now, we, we don't need to say, boy, if the, if the stars just align, this is what they'd bring. And we also don't need to say, if it was the worst day ever at the sale, and I took them, this is what they'd bring. Okay. Put in there, what do you think they'd bring? What realistically? Okay. And then do the math on this. So, so let's say we've got 200 cows and they're worth 2000 bucks a piece, right? So $400,000, is that right? I'm terrible at math. I think so. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so $400,000. Okay. So in that group of cows, I've got $400,000 of inventory out there. Okay. And then add them all up for all the different inventory classes. And let's say on, on the ranch, it was a million dollars of livestock. Okay. Now, what, what I want you to do is do that on the board as a as a team and then look outside look at the conditions the pastures are in okay think about your forage conditions in front of you um, think about you know what where what areas on the ranch need more rest what areas on the ranch do we have feed stockpiled on uh, look at the feed that you've that you've got um, you know in the yard um, so bales silage whatever that is and put a value on that what could I sell this to somebody else for Okay, so if it's a bale of hay, maybe it's worth 200 bucks, right? I don't know what the numbers are where you guys are. Um, if it's uh, silage in the pile, how many tons, what's it worth, right? So put a number on that, okay? And then I want you to ask yourself this question with that information in mind. With this capital, okay, and I'm thinking the capital mainly that's tied up in those animals, okay? How would I deploy this capital to create the life and the business that I want? So, so what I'm asking you to do is to stop looking at those animals as, well, gee, these are animals we've raised for four generations and they're cows that fit our ranch and we know their mothers and their grandmothers, okay? Start looking at them as money in the bank, okay? So, so they're worth a million dollars if that's the number you come up with, okay? Mm -hmm. And you might even find that it helps to write, write out a check. So pay to the order of... XYZ ranch, right? Million dollar check. And look at that check. And, and now you don't have cattle in the uh, in the pen or out in the pasture. You've got a million dollars in the bank. Okay. 
And so then ask that question, how would I deploy this capital to create the life and the business that I want? Okay, now that these are the feed conditions in the pasture. This is what the feed's worth that's stored, or this is what I have to pay for it to go buy it. Okay. To me, that changes the decision-making. Okay. So if you would deploy that million dollars and go out, if, if you had a million dollars in the bank today and you would go buy those animals okay, with those feed conditions, well, well, then the signals are to keep them. Right? But if there's any animals that you would not buy at what they're worth today, then you need to sell those animals. And it, it's just that simple. But it, it helps clear that thinking up when we turn those animals into cash and instead of just looking at them as animals that we love that are standing out there in the in the pasture, right? Because we we let these emotional, this emotional attachment to our livestock drive our decision making. Um, I mean, and if your farm or ranch is a hobby, knock yourself out. Okay. Do whatever you want. If if you can afford to sub subsidize those beautiful cows that you have through this drought, um, knock yourself out, right? But but if you want this place to support your life, if you want it to be profitable, if you want it to create something that's exciting to others, at some point it needs to stop being a hobby and it needs to be a real business. Mm -hmm. yeah. So that might help with some decision making around around this. I, you know, I I tend to get a little bitter on it because I see people that are, you know, right now in, in our in our state, um, cows bred cows are probably worth a thousand bucks if you were to go to the sale barn right now and buy some buy a patch of middle aged bred cows. Um, hay right now is three hundred dollars a ton. People are starting to feed hay uh, today, and and they're going to be feeding hay till mm -hmm. the middle of May, so they're going to have a minimum of three tons. In, into those. Okay. So we're going to have another $900. So, so now we've got a $1,900 bread cow come spring and who knows if it's going to rain this spring. Right. So, so I, yeah. I think when we, when we face some economic realities, um, it, it makes this decision-making a bit more clear. For sure. And on that note of, we don't know if it's going to rain next spring. Um, what are some things you recommend producers do uh, to help them recover quickly in a good year? Say they, they've done all the math and they figured out this is how many cows I can keep. Um, and then if it's a good year next year or a bad year, how, how do you evaluate your decisions going forward once you've made that call? Are you thinking from a pasture perspective? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, you know, when we start looking at the, at the pasture health, I mean, this, that is the economic engine that drives your business is, is having good land health and, you know, land that's ready to absorb that moisture when it does fall. And, you know, we've got some life in the soil down there. So, so how do you create that? And, and really it's following the grazing principles. And, and the first one of those grazing principles is allowing those pastures to fully rest between, between grazing events or between stress. So, so asking the question, is this pasture getting appropriate rest? So, so once it's grazed, does the pasture have the opportunity to, to fully recover so that it's ready for the next grazing? Okay, so if you're saying, if you're looking at your pastures and saying, yeah, I'm, I'm knocking this one out of the park, right? They're all getting the rest that they need. Well, then there's a, there's a good checkbox. But for many of us, we, we look at that, and especially in years when it's dry, and we're coming back into areas where we kind of have to hold our notes, right? When we're coming in there, because we're like, eee, 
I really don't want to be bringing animals back in here. I know it's it hasn't had enough rest, right? Um, and and when we have dry periods, that rest period needs to lengthen. I mean, that's the that's the response to that, right? Because dry dry means no growth or little growth, so rest period needs to get longer. Mm-hmm. So make sure those rest periods are right. Um, using the highest stock density is practical. So when we do graze it, we want to bring in big numbers of animals for short periods of time. Right. And that that just that's the number one thing to build soil health is that tool of stock density. So the the higher stock densities we can run, the more animals we can bring in for the shorter period of time. Now, now the practicality that's going to vary across all different environments, right? If you're ranching in a higher rainfall, higher production environment, you can really hit the gas on that. If you're out in in desert country where it takes 150 acres to support a cow for a month, that that's a harder thing to do, right? So you got to balance that. Um you know, using herd effect to just just the excited behavior of those animals to, to stimulate that biology in the soil is another tool. Uh, matching stocking rate and carrying capacity is another one of the tools. So, so following the, the grazing principles is is going to make that land ready to recover and and ready to go. Um, I, I want to take you back because this is just as you asked this question, we started talking about grass. Uh, Many of, many of the people listening to this, well, I'm sure will know who Bud Williams is. Uh, Bud Williams was famous for his stockmanship, and, and he also taught a marketing school. And in that marketing school, one of the, the famous pieces are the, the three inventories that any ranch is managing. And if you were to draw this out with me, it's going to look like a pyramid. And at the bottom of that pyramid, the two inventories are money and grass. Yeah. And so you could circle those and then draw arrows connecting these three. And at the top of that pyramid is livestock. So as a rancher, every decision that you're making is about which of those inventories that you're emphasizing. So you could trade one of those for the other. I can trade money for livestock, right? When I put livestock on the land, they eat grass. So I have to invest grass, right? I could sell livestock trade livestock for money, emphasize the money. And then when I do that, I build grass. Right? So I'm emphasizing grass. So, so Bud made the comment on that as he looked at that, at those three inventories. And he said, you know, the, the reason money and grass are at the bottom of that is they make the foundation. You, you won't go broke having too much money in the bank and too much grass in the paddock. But there's a heck of a lot of ranchers who've gone broke for having too many livestock at the wrong time. Okay. So, so in periods of drought, think about that right. pyramid. And, and let me challenge you with this comment that the, in a period of drought, the person who's got power is the person with money and grass. When everybody else is out of money and is short of grass. Okay. If, if you're going through a period of drought and you've got feed when nobody else does, and you've got opportunity to buy animals when everybody else is selling, you're at a really powerful place. Okay. So, so how can you prepare for that? And, and one of the, it brings us back to where we started, which is matching stocking rate and carrying capacity, right? When, when you see that supply going down, if you can be one of the first ones to respond and then, and say, okay, I'm, I'm going to, to take some action here to decrease my demand on the ranch. Right. So I'm going to trade livestock for money. And in doing that, I'm going to build grass. Okay, so, and then as you're entering this, okay, now I've got money in grass when a lot of other people are in the situation where they need to find grass for their animals or they're having to sell. 
And, and so now you've got opportunities to compete in that. So that makes sense to me. All right. (laughs) (laughs) I see we're running up on our time here. So is there any other advice you have for producers going into the fall that maybe we haven't touched on yet? Oh gosh. Uh, Yeah. We've covered a lot of things, you know, and, and, and I feel like I've been pushing people maybe to make the decision of selling animals that, I don't want to be telling anybody what they need to do with their business. What I, what I do want to push you to do is, is to really be thoughtful about it and, and to have some, some good conversations among your ranch team where you're able to get things on the table and make these decisions together and, and make them with the best information that you have. Um, you know, when, when you look at these at family ranches, the, the most important part of it to get right is the human side of it. And, and if you're going to make some decisions with just, well, this is the way it's going to be, and this is the way we do it, and this is what we've always done, uh, then, then what you're telling other people by doing that is your input doesn't matter. And now you might not be saying those words, but that's what they're feeling, right? When you're, when you're making those decisions without their input. Um, so I, I really want to encourage people to, to include others in this decision-making, um, you know, put the facts on the table, get some outside input on that. Um, and, you know, you might even find that uh, be forming some kind of advisory board, uh, getting other people to look inside your business, um, getting advice from, from people even outside of agriculture might be really useful in, in making these decisions. So, you know, if, if you're running a, a scaled size farm or ranch, something that, that supports a family, you're, you're making million dollar decisions every year. And, and it's funny how in agriculture, we tend to treat those decisions like, well, I grew up here and I was born into this, so I'm therefore the best equipped to make these decisions. And, and that's not always the case. I mean, I, you're very well equipped to do it, but you might not be equipped to do it alone, right? So it, it might make some sense to, to bring in some others, to get some other input on this thing, to, to be challenged with the way we're thinking about it. So I just want to encourage folks to, to broaden their network a bit on this. That makes good sense to me. Alrighty. Um, are there any upcoming events from RMC you'd like to mention or any resources you'd like to promote? I know you mentioned your uh, YouTube channel, which I'll probably link in the podcast description here. Yeah, yeah. We've, so we've got a lot of free ways that people can, can interact with us if they want. We have our Profit Tips newsletter. Uh, it comes out twice a month, and we write on some something related to business management and agriculture usually, so they can sign up for that on our website. Uh, Facebook, um, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, all those things. We've got um, accounts on all the social media platforms. Um, in terms of events coming up, uh, it, you know, if people aren't familiar with our Ranching for Profit School, I'd, I'd love for them to get on our website and learn more about it. Uh, that's really the the heart and soul of what we do here is, is teach ranching for profit and then our follow-up program executive link. Um, so, so ranching for profit is a seven day business management school for people in ag. So we teach about 10 of these a year. Uh, they start on a Sunday and we end on a Saturday. So we go for, for seven days and we cover you know, uh, the stuff I've been just been tipping the iceberg with it right today. Uh, but we dive in pretty deep. We, t- we teach you how to run these numbers uh, on your farm or ranch, how to break the business down into the enterprises, um, you know, the human side of it, which I touched on today, how to, how to make decisions and, and bring the team along. Well, you know, what is mission and vision? How do you establish that for your business? And how do you build a, a group of people pulling towards that? Uh, we get into the grazing stuff in a lot more detail. So 
anyway, if people would uh, are interested in that, go to our website and click on the schedule button, and you'll be able to see all the places we're going to be this winter. Um, you know, I know a lot of your uh, your listeners are up in the Peace River country, so nothing's going to be close. I'm sorry, uh, but uh, we'll. We, we did add a couple of schools this year with Canadians in mind when we put those schools on the schedule. Um, and one of them is in Arizona the second week of December. So if I was in the Peace River country and wanted to go to a school, I'd want to go to Phoenix, Arizona the second week of December, right? So, yeah. uh, so that's why we put that one on there. And then the second one was for the people who don't like to get on airplanes. Uh, we're going to be in Minot, North Dakota uh, in February, the first, uh, the last week of January, first full week of February. Um, so there's a drive drive time that's fairly close. Um, our Billings Ranching for Profit School just filled up. Uh, so that one's no longer available this winter, although we do have a Billings school that'll be held this summer. Um, but uh, yeah, and, and I'm not sure when the episode's going to come out, but most of our winter schools tend to fill up in October and November. So if people want to uh, have their best choice of location, uh, they need to get on the list pretty quick. Alrighty. Oh, on that people note, who should be involved in, in these decisions that we're making on farm? Who, who should you be thinking about including? I think you should include everybody. Um, I, I mean, it's what's the cost of being inclusive, right? It, and generally the answer is nothing, right? It, mm -hmm. I mean, maybe they might be having another couple hours to do whatever they do on the farmer ranch, but, um, the the cost of being exclusive is is can be pretty high right so i i would say include certainly everybody with an ownership stake and a, and a decision making stake in the business but but even employees um are going to be honored to be included in that okay so just bring them in and say hey here's here's what we're dealing with um what do you think right and mm -hmm. and even if they don't have any you know earth-shattering input to it uh including them is going to it's going to help them feel feel like they're a part of the team. For sure. I think that's that's all I got. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for the invitation. Yeah. No, thank you for uh, thank you for doing the interview. I appreciate it. We'll see ya. Peace Country Beef and Forage Association is a research and extension group based out of Fairview, Alberta. Our mission is to help producers thrive in an agricultural system that is profitable, regenerative, and attractive to future generations. To learn more about what we do and see the results of our research trials or our archive of newsletters and fact sheets, check out our website at peacecountrybeef.ca. Want to get in touch? Have a burning question or a topic suggestion? Send us a message on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Thanks for listening!